Well, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> today, uh, we are talking about money. And uh, specifically today, we're talking about tithing. <clears throat> and we're doing this as part of a short series of uh, sermons on spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, what are they? Well, a spiritual discipline is kind of like a healthy habit, something that trains us in godliness, something that helps us to get to know God better and to become more like Jesus. Um, as we've noted before, when we've talked about spiritual disciplines in the past, uh, we're not talking about salvation issues. No, no, we're, we're saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Um, spiritual disciplines don't save us, but they do for us as God's saved people. They do bless us. They're good things for us to attend to. Um, and when we're talking about spiritual disciplines, nor are we in the realm of commandments or laws. The Bible, for example, the Bible doesn't command us to read our Bibles every day and to pray every day, although reading our Bibles every day and praying every day is such a brilliantly good idea that it is something that should be universally practiced wherever possible. Um, so tithing is a spiritual discipline. I've preached on tithing here at St. Barnabas before. Actually, the last time I preached on tithing was uh, in May of 2011. So eight years ago, uh, I thought perhaps it was uh, time for us to consider it again. Um, if you've not heard the word tithe or tithing before, um, what is it that we're talking about? Well, the word tithing usually refers to the Christian practice of giving 10% of our income to the church. But there's more to it than that. The tithe is qualitatively different to any other type of gift or donation because <clears throat> the point of the tithe is that it is the first thing we do with our money as soon as we receive it. Um, I, uh, you, we... Uh, we can all be as generous as we want with our surplus, with the, the money that's left over um, after the bills are paid and the necessities are taken care of. We can save a little, give a little, spend a little, or give a lot. It's up to us. But the tithe is different because it's the first thing we do with our money. 10% going to God before we eat, before we pay off debts, before the mortgage, before the necessities. A tithe is a gift that is given to God as a first and reflex response to his generous provision to us. The, the idea of a tithe, it reaches back across time and space, all the way back to Cain and Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, in Genesis chapter 4, we read, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain... And his offering he did not look with favor. 
So Cain was angry, very angry, and his face was downcast. Well, uh, there's quite a bit going on here. Uh, if you know the story, you know that this story does not end well. It ends badly. Uh, Cain murders his brother Abel. Uh, well, giving something to God, making a sacrifice, actually it was Cain's idea, and it was a good idea. And Abel, his younger brother, copied him, as younger brothers are apt to do. I should know, I am one. But there were differences in their approaches. Cain gave God some of what he had produced, but Abel gave back to God the first and the best, the fat portions from the firstborn of the flock, the first and the best. Abel, in making a sacrifice like that, it's an eloquent act of worship. It's a fantastic step of faith. He gives to God the very best, and he gives to God the first, trusting that God will continue to provide because God is generous and kind. And it's such an articulate, it's such an astonishing uh, step of faith, it's such a beautiful sacrifice, because it goes against all of our instincts, um, which, all that we want to do, which is to keep the first and the best for ourselves. After all, who knows if there's any more coming along? Well, actually, you do know if you know the character of God. Um, so, so a fabulous act of worship by Abel, in contrast, Cain's sacrifice is not wrong, but it does smack of tokenism. Some of what he produced, not necessarily the first, not necessarily the best. Now, both Cain and Abel believe in God. They are both religious men, so to speak. They're both um, worshippers of Yahweh, of the Lord. But their approaches are typological. In other words, they are types. They are patterns. Patterns that we'll come to recognize again and again. Abel is the man who lives by faith. For him, the gift of life is for God. The gift of life is for serving God. Cain, on the other hand, he wants to keep God on his side. He wants the blessing of God. But really, that's for the purpose of achieving his goals, his welfare. For Cain, the gift of life is for himself. He wants to get the most out of it. God's disapproval of Cain's offering is initially mysterious to us, the reader. But it doesn't remain a mystery for long because God sees the heart and his response to Cain brings to the surface what's in Cain's heart. What's really important to Cain is Cain. So when he's rebuked rather than repentance, there's anger. Cain's ultimate motive is self-preservation. Cain is a type, he's a pattern for all who would come after him. Uh, religious people, uh, but whose practice of spirituality, their religious practice is essentially about manipulating the spiritual world into doing things their, his way, for him. And the biblical word for that is idolatry. Abel lives for God, but he is crucified by his brother because of the non-verbal witness of Abel's life. 
It's a witness that condemns the self-centeredness of Cain's heart. Now, this ancient story isn't about tithing, but it does contain the fundamental idea from which the concept of tithing will develop, the idea of giving to God the first and the best of whatever God gives us, his people. The firstborn of flocks and herds, the first fruit of vineyards and fields. It is occasionally equated to the first 10% of whatever is earned, grown, or made. This gift to God is the tithe. Now, in the law of Moses, uh, in the 600 or so commandments, statutes, decrees, and stipulations, laws found in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the tithe is mentioned a lot, and uh, it's connected, uh, interconnected. There are three things that were to happen to this um, uh, tithe that was collected. Firstly, some of the tithes went to supporting the Levites, the priesthood, who worked full-time in the service of the Lord in the temple. Secondly, some tithes went to support um, the welfare of the poor, the alien, the refugee, the fatherless, and the widow, those who were new, who were outside, or who were unable to provide for themselves and didn't have family there to help them. The Levites were responsible for distributing the tithe to, uh, to, to the vulnerable, to those who needed help. Thirdly, the tithes sometimes were to be eaten by the people who'd made them or grown them. So you got to eat your tithes, you got to enjoy it yourself, but only in the presence of the Lord at the temple in the context of a feast or festival. So you carried your first fruits all the way to Jerusalem. And then if that, if that was too heavy, what you did is was you sold it, you transferred it into silver, you took your silver to Jerusalem, you bought the equivalent, and then you ate it. However, though, however those three things are imagined, however, it, however it was used it, together, what connects them is that it was an act of worship, an act of thanksgiving, a way of honoring God. As it says in Proverbs chapter 3, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. And uh, thereafter, in the Old Testament, after the close of, of the law in the Old Testament, tithing's actually barely mentioned. It's really only, there's only two places where it's mentioned again in the Old Testament. And that is in the book of the prophet Amos and in the book of the prophet Malachi. We've already heard Malachi on this issue this morning. Um, uh, Andrea read it to us. So what does Amos have to say? Well, in chapter 4, the prophet Amos prophesies against the, quote, fat cows of Bashan, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, saying to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Prophet prophesies exile, poverty, and deprivation for these rich people who live in luxury on the rich pasture lands of Samaria. Why? Well, the prophet explains because God gave them empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet they did not return to the Lord, they did not help the poor. Nevertheless, and this is important. These people were sticklers for religious observance. 
including tithing. Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gagal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn your leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your freewill offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the sovereign Lord. And Jesus, a few centuries later, levels exactly the same accusation against the religious leaders of his age, making the same charge against the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those who sit in Moses' place, those who are to judge Israel. He says to them, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint and and, mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Well, what, what can we deduce from this? Well, tithing, what we, what we get from this is that tithing is not unimportant. It's not something to be neglected. But clearly... Compassionate giving to the poor so as to, to, so as to establish economic justice, a community of mercy, so as to be faithful to God's agenda of liberating the poor from oppression. These things are clearly an order of magnitude more important. And that's important for us to bear in mind. Um, after the Gospels, there's no direct mention of tithing in the New Testament, but perhaps tithing is implicit in Paul's words to the Corinthians when he describes um, to the Corinthian church the astonishing generosity of the Macedonian churches. Paul says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, also to us. Now, Paul is talking about the response of these Macedonian churches to, um, to, uh, to an appeal that he himself has, has started. Uh, Paul is, is, is doing appeal around the, the Mediterranean world uh, to send aid to the church in Jerusalem that's run into severe problems because of a famine in that area. So an appeal is launched. But Paul writes, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and after that, they gave themselves also to us by the will of God. Now, without question, that phrase is somewhat ambiguous, and it could mean a number of things. But it does tell us that they didn't conflate donating to Paul's appeal with some other offering that was to be made to the Lord. Both were God's will, but the two things were not the same. This is consistent with, this perhaps even suggests, 
that the Macedonian Christians made a distinction between tithing and generosity, a distinction that I'm making in my sermon, a distinction that I believe is entirely biblical. They were amazingly generous without neglecting to tithe. Well, where does that leave us? Generosity is giving as much as we are able to give to those in need, or even more than we're able, for the Lord loves a hilarious giver. Generosity flows out of what we do with what's ours, so to speak, after the tithe which belongs to the Lord. It is more important that we are generous than it is that we tithe. That's, it's more important to be generous, but that doesn't make tithing unimportant. Um, I am, I'm personally a convinced believer uh, in tithing as a spiritual discipline. Um, a friend of mine in Melbourne, um, an elderly woman who um, I knew very well in Melbourne, a, a, a wise, godly, mature Christian, deeply insightful elderly woman, prophetic in many ways, she, she once said to me, Stephen, there are two types of Christians. Those who never have enough money and those who tithe. And I think she's basically right. I think she's essentially correct. I, I was taught to tithe. Uh, I guess some 27 years ago, I was taught to, to tithe in this place soon after I became a Christian. And I'm grateful for that teaching. I've always tithed, giving the first 10% of my pay to the church, whichever church it was that I was attending. Sometimes I've tithed the whole of something when that something was the first of something that would continue. For example, I once tithed my entire first month's salary pay packet because it was a new job and I knew that there'd be a second month or the third month. Um, you might be doing some mental arithmetic and thinking, actually, that's quite a bit of money, 10% of my income. That, gee, is, does Stephen do that? That's very generous. But actually, it's not generous. If you lend me your lawnmower and then I give it back to you, that's not generous. It already belongs to you. The tithe is not mine. I also try, I do try to be generous and generous as I can be, both in terms of support to missionaries, development and aid organizations, child sponsorship, other worthy causes by way of regular donations. And I try to respond as generously as I can to ad hoc needs and requests as they arise. I try to give away the surplus. But none of these things come out of my tithe. My tithe goes to St. Barnabas. Why is tithing a spiritual discipline? I think it's a spiritual discipline because it shifts something in our lives. It shifts something spiritual in our spiritual lives. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. If you try, you'll end up hating one of them and loving the other. You'll end up despising one and being devoted to the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And if you do serve money, it will be your master. You will obey it because you have to. 
you will find yourself either doing things or not doing things on the basis of whether your finances have given you permission or not. You will read your bank statement as though it is the revealed will of God. A personal letter from him. If you serve money, they will, it will demand obedience. But tithing as an act of worship demonstrates in the spiritual realms my trust in God, my Savior, to provide for me, irrespective of what my finances might have to say about that matter. God can provide for me just as well if I am penniless as he can when I am rich. Therefore, giving to God the first and the best is a safe thing to do. I remember uh, reading a story somewhere about tithing. The author of the story was remembering his first job, and I think his first job was a paper round. Um, And his first paycheck, his first pay packet was a dollar. This is an old story. And the form of his first pay pack was ten shiny dimes. This was an American story. And he was um, really thrilled with his first ever pay packet, and he laid out his ten shiny dimes on the kitchen table, admiring uh, the fruits of his endeavors. But his dad came along, and his dad came along and put his finger on the first dime, and he slid it forward on the kitchen uh, uh, table, uh, on the counter. He slid it forward, and he said, This one belongs to the Lord. And the author considered that to be a most valuable lesson, a treasure passed down father to son, an incredibly important life lesson. So um, that's the lesson for today. I believe that tithing is an important spiritual discipline, and I'm sharing this with you in the expectation that there'll be blessing in obedience for you. This is a good thing that is good for you. That's why I'm teaching it. Before concluding, however, it is incredibly important to add a couple of qualifications to this message today. Firstly, it is extremely important to acknowledge before you that pastors and church leaders routinely abuse their congregations by way of false teaching about tithing. It goes a little bit something like this. God will bless you if you give your money to the church. The more you give, the more blessed you'll be. Just look at me. I have my own private jet. You too can be blessed. So just give, give, give your money to me and you'll be blessed, blessed, blessed. And actually, there are multitudes of Bible verses that can be used in apparent support of that line of thought. But it is is false teaching. It is a method by which wolves fleece flocks. It is false teaching because it equates blessing with material prosperity an equation we all find difficult to resist, but that equation is quite wrong. So then, if you feel uncomfortable this morning with this teaching, 
and you fear that my motives might be false or self-serving, then, boy, I really agree with you. Your instincts serve you well. <laughs> be very cautious about this kind of stuff. And if it helps to persuade you, then let me say this. Please know that my stipend, that is my salary, my wage, my stipend is not linked to the offerings. I don't get more money if the offering goes up. Nor do I know who gives what. I haven't the faintest idea. It's none of my business. Most people give electronically anyway. Not even the treasurer, I think, knows what goes on. It's all anonymous, as it should be. Praise God. And look, if... if you're not sure about this, but you'd like to give it a go, well, then I'm quite happy. I'm quite happy for you to tithe to another church. Um, you'll still get the blessing. Um, it's still a good thing to do. So that's the first qualification. The church has been abusing people since New Testament times with false teaching that is very close to what I'm saying today. And Therefore, we do, you do, we need to be cautious about this stuff. And uh, my second qualification leads on from my first. And that is that in teaching this, it's important that uh, we add that I spell out the freedoms that you have as a Christian. You, as a Christian, are free to tithe and you're free not to tithe. This isn't law for us in the same way that it was for Israel in the promised land under the covenant of Moses. If you do tithe, you are free to prayerfully work out for yourself what you want to do and how you're going to do that. You might tithe 10%. You might tithe less. You might tithe more. You might base your calculations on your pre-tax income. You might base your calculations on your post-tax income income. It's fine. You might give all your tithes to the church that you're attending, or you might divvy it up amongst a number of Christian or church-based recipients. I've told you what I do, but that's the exercise of my faith. That's my conscience. So then, these are things for you to settle for yourselves according to your own conscience in prayer, remembering that it is impossible to do the right thing, except that we walk by faith, making our decisions in the light of prayer, in the light of our conscience, and in light of the Word of God. Believing that we're doing what we're doing because God is pleased with us. I would, therefore, uh, therefore, I would hope that we all might tithe, giving 10%, the first 10% of our incomes to St. Barnabas. But in as much as that might happen, please also pray for the leadership of this church that this church uses the money collected wisely. We remember that in the Old Testament there are three explicit uses for the tithe. Supporting those called to full-time service of the Lord, supporting the poor and vulnerable of the community, and enabling the people of God to celebrate together in the presence of God in worship. It is all very well to encourage tithing, but the flip side of that coin is that churches, that churches must be faithful in how they use the money that is collected. 
So then, tithing is not unimportant. We shouldn't neglect it. But being generous, however that is understood, being generous is vastly more important. It is important that I teach you to tithe. It is essential that I command you to be generous. Because with God, we can't go wrong when we let go and give it into his hand. To be generous. What, what it is, it is that we are to be as God's people conformed to the image of Christ. As copiers of Jesus, we are to be generous in spirit and generous with what we have. Jesus said, be generous in spirit. Do not judge and you'll not be judged. Do not condemn and you won't be condemned. Forgive and you too will be forgiven. Then be generous with what you have. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Amen, the end, the Lord be with you all.